Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. It's good to see each and every one of you. If you have your Bible, turn with me uh, to John chapter 12 this morning. John chapter 12. <clears throat> and we're going to get started here in just a second. I do want to ask you to continue to pray uh, for our church family members who are still in rehab or have just recovered from surgeries and whatnot. And uh, specifically, I want to ask you to pray for Elmer Preston again this morning. I believe they're going to be taking him back to the hospital here in just a little while. And so uh, pray for the doctors and caregivers there in that situation. I know that Brian, Sean, and the family would appreciate our prayers in that regard. Uh, thank you again. One final thank you to all of our folks who helped out with Upward Basketball and Cheer. Amen. I really appreciate it. Yes. Can we give them a round of applause thanking them? I appreciate, I appreciate so much uh, your efforts this year. And uh, we celebrated uh, a great season yesterday with our award celebration at Kettle Run High School. And, and everything went off with, without a hitch. And uh, except for there were a few nervous people uh, when uh, Mark Lippard was trying to get people up on unicycles. Uh, but uh, we made it through, so uh, it, was a, it was a great day. Let's do this. Let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we're going to get into our message this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your greatness and your glory, and we're, we are mindful that you are worthy, even as... Uh, Pastor Travis uh, talked about and prayed about a moment ago, and so, Lord, we give you the glory for uh, how you work and how you move in our lives. We give you the praise for the fact that you loved us so much that you willingly, willingly sent your son to die on a cross for our sins, and, Lord, we're thankful for the forgiveness of sin that we have through Jesus Christ. We're thankful for that relationship that we can have with him, and the relationship we can have with you through him. And so, Father, I pray that today that you would open up the eyes of our understanding, that your word would fall upon the good soil of our hearts. And, Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room or somebody watching online that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that today, through the preaching of your word and the wooing of the Holy Spirit, you would bring them to that point where they would understand their need and call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, I pray also for... Those who are here or watching who are believers, Lord, that you might reinvigorate us to a, a greater purpose, a greater desire, a greater walk with thee, Lord, in a season of life when it seems almost a little bit easier to invite folks to your house, I pray that we'll be diligent to do that. And so, Lord, I pray now, as always, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Because, God, you are my strength and you are my redeemer. And so I give you in advance the glory that only you deserve. And I do so in the precious and powerful name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen and amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This morning, uh, here in just a second, we're going to get into our text. But I want to give you a little bit of a background. Uh, the text that we're going to look at this morning is going to point us to an occasion that has not and never will be forgotten. Is that good? Are you ready for that? Our, the, the text that we're going to look at is, pointed, uh, is going to point us to an occasion that it has not and never will be forgotten. In fact, John's gospel uh, says that this gathering that we're going to look at literally took place uh, six days before the Passover. In fact, the same Passover that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ became the Passover lamb and was crucified for the sin of the world. Amen. And so we're going to look at this story, and due to its proximity to the city of Jerusalem, it'll come as no surprise that as Jesus is making his way back to Jerusalem, next week we'll look at that triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. I pray that you'll make it a priority to be here. We'll also be baptizing. Listen, if you haven't signed up, there's a great opportunity to take your faith public, make a public profession of your faith, and be baptized. And I, I believe we already have like nine or ten people 
that will be baptized next Sunday. And so, listen, uh, the water, Lord willing, will be warm. But I got news for you. Whether it's warm or not, we're still going to get up there. Amen? And so uh, we look forward to that. But this is seriously, this is a great time. And, and so Jesus, he's making his way back to Jerusalem, as we'll see here in just a second. And because of his proximity, it's only about two miles outside of the city. He makes his way to the town of Bethany. Because as we know, he has some good friends in Bethany. Uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And we read about that in John chapter 11. And, and uh, it just seems natural that he would make his way there. By the way, Mary, Martha, and and Lazarus were not the only ones that he knew in Bethany, as a couple of the Gospels revealed that this gathering took place in Simon the leper's home. And so uh, a lot of things are going on, but we're going to look at what God's Word has to say. By the way, if you're interested, the town of Bethany that we talk about here in Scripture that you'll see in John chapter 12 is still a Palestinian town called El Isaria, and it literally actually means... Still to this day, in 2023, it's referred to as the place of Lazarus. Everybody always wants to know, is the Bible real? Are the stories true? Yeah, the place is still called. The town is still called the place of Lazarus. So I guess it's true, folks. Listen, we have a sure word that we look to this morning. And so look with me, if you're at John 12, look across the page from my Bible. It's right there on the same page. Look across at John chapter 11 because we know from John chapter 11 that Jesus had recently been in Bethany. And you remember the occasion of him going to Bethany was to raise Lazarus who had been dead four days. He had already been buried. He had been dead four days. And so he goes there to raise him back to life from the grave. And if you look in verse number 45, as a result of this miracle, notice what takes place. The Bible says, many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus had done, i.e. the fact that he literally with a loud voice said, Lazarus, come forth. Can you imagine the scene? Lazarus wrapped all up, wrapped up in cloths, comes out. In fact, I think uh, uh, old Pastor Herb was referring to it Wednesday night as the Lazarus hop. Can you imagine coming out of the tomb when Jesus said, come forth, Lazarus? Listen, I don't know if he had to do a hopper, if man, those, those grave clothes just gave way, they were like elastic or whatever. But what we know is he came out of the grave. And the Bible says in verse number 45 that because of the things they had seen Jesus do, look, it says they believed on him. Listen, if you're going to go to heaven, you got to believe on Jesus. You don't have to believe in Greg. You don't have to believe in a Baptist church, a Methodist church, an Episcopal church, a Catholic church, a Lutheran church. You need to believe on Jesus. And so that's what we have here in verse number 45. But watch. And that's amazing news. Now let me just say and suggest there are a lot of theological thinkers. I love theological thinkers who always doubt whether people were actually believing to faith or whether it was just like, oh, they just believed in what was going on. No, the Bible says they believed on him. I take it that they believed on Jesus. All right, so look at verse number 46. Because verse 46 says, but some of them, that means not everybody believed. It says, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. And if you look there in John chapter 11, verse 47 and following, God's word continues to reveal it. It reveals that the Pharisees, the chief priests, and they even get the Sanhedrin involved. Man, the Sanhedrin are 70 of the most influential men of that time. And they gather this group of, of jokers together. And that's okay. I don't think I'm doing a disservice by calling them jokers. They, they gather them together and they come together and they start to say, what are we going to do with Jesus? Well, if you notice down, verse number 53 gives us what they decide to do. Verse number 53 says, then from that day forth, after they had their council meeting, after they had their committee meeting, they decided that from that day forth, they took counsel for to put him to what? And notice verse 54 in John chapter 11. The Bible tells us Jesus therefore, he, he's not dumb. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews. The Bible says, but then went to a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there he continued with his disciples. 
Last week, as I was kind of wrapping up the message, I kind of remember we were talking about uh, the idea of being successful in, in winning or pointing souls to Christ. And, and we kind of wrapped up the message last week with one verse in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 17, in which Jesus was talking to Andrew and Simon Peter. And you may recall the very short passage, he says, he says Come ye after me. And he says, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Well, this morning, we talk about being fishers of men last week. This morning, as we get started, even just as a, as a start, I want us to recognize what following Jesus really looks like. Have you ever thought about what does it really look like to follow Jesus? And not what I say, not what Pastor Travis, not what Pastor Larry or some other theological uh, thinker says, but what does it mean to follow Jesus according to what Jesus said? And I'm glad you asked. Is everybody excited this morning? Everybody's ready to go to lunch, aren't we? All right. I'm glad you asked. Because, you know, Jesus had a lot to say about what it looked like to follow him. In Matthew chapter 16 Notice what he says, then Jesus said in verse 24 and following, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to get over the things that seem to sidetrack us the most. What seems to sidetrack us when it comes to following Jesus? Well, first and foremost, I think what hinders us a lot of times is this little word called pride. We get on the pride ride and we're like, ah, I'm going to do things my way today. And you know what? The moment you think that, the moment you say that, the moment you endeavor to do that your own way, you're headed for a problem. And Jesus said, listen, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to pick up whatever cross you're dealing with. You might have to have a physical cross today. You might have to have a financial cross today. You may be going through some other uh, cross-type situation. But listen, if you're going to follow me, Jesus said, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to stop worrying about your cross. You're going to have to follow me. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? Because notice it goes on in verse 25. He says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake, for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And you say, man, that's a lot. Pastor, that's a lot. It's 2023. Can we tone it down a little bit? you got to be tired from upwards. Can you just bring it down a notch? I wish I could. But you see, Jesus is who's speaking, not me. And you say, man, that's a lot. You ain't seen nothing yet. Because you see, he takes it up a notch. He takes it up a notch in Luke chapter 14. And verse number 26, this one's going to rub your fur the wrong way. I already know it's going to rub your fur the wrong way because he says these words. He says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife, sorry baby, and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, He cannot be my disciple. You think denying yourself, picking up your cross and following him is hard? You think that's, that's hard stuff? Jesus says, listen, he says, if you're going to come to me and you don't hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children and your brethren and your sisters, yea, and in your own life also, you cannot be my disciple. Now, I know what y'all are saying. Are you saying I got to hate daddy? Are you saying I got to hate mommy? Mommy, dearest, I don't have a problem hating my brother. And I don't have a problem getting angry with my sister a time or two. But pastor, are you telling me that Jesus said I got to hate my own self? Or else I can't become his disciples? Let me just tell you something. Jesus is the greatest communicator that ever lived. Let me say that again, because I'm not sure you guys are convinced. After reading that verse, you're wanting to put away the Bible. You're trying to figure out how to get out of here real quickly. Carl, lock the doors. All right? You're trying to figure out some way of escape. Like, 
what, what is Jesus saying? He's the greatest communicator ever. And he's using this little literary device, this little literary device called hyperbole. Anybody know what hyperbole is? Here's what it is. Hyperbole is an overstatement used for the purpose of emphasis in order to create or to gain a strong response. Was Jesus saying, was his words true? Absolutely, his word is true. But he's using a device to gain our attention. He's, he's saying something so that we will pay attention. So when we read, look at this verse again, Luke 14, 26. So when we read this verse, Jesus is saying, watch this, that our love for him is supposed to be supreme. As Travis alluded to, it was almost as if, Travis, you broke in and looked at my notes last night. Jesus says I'm to be number one, first place. Your daddy's not to have first place. Your mama's not to have first place. Your brothers, your sisters, and even you, me, myself, and I, yourself, are not to have first place. He said, I'm to be number one in your life if you're going to follow me. And so he's talking about our love and our devotion to him would be so incredibly strong that our love for mom and our love for our wives and husbands and our love for dad and our love for brothers and sisters would almost appear or almost seem as if it were hate. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, then I'm going to have to be number one. I'm going to have to have first place. If you're going to follow me, I need to be the object of your highest affection. I need to be the priority in your life. And interestingly enough, when we get to John chapter 12, look with me, we have a real-life human example of someone who got it, someone who sees what is really important. And it's not everybody else. This is someone who had been convinced of who Jesus was, someone who obviously has been changed because of who Jesus was and demonstrates for you and I a clear message today of love, devotion, and commitment to who Jesus was. Look at John chapter 12. Look at verse number 1 and following. And the Bible says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. In verse 2, Then they, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was, this, this, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and bear what was put therein. Verse number seven. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised, who he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Now they're so upset they want to put Lazarus to death. And then look at verse 11. Because that by reason of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. And so this dinner party, so to speak, was meant to be a time of rest and relaxation. Remember, we're six days before the Passover. Jesus is on his way back to Jerusalem and he stops or what he thinks is going to be a quiet night of rest and relaxation with some friends and some family and some other onlookers. And it becomes something very different very, very quickly. And if you remember, as we read, the, we see that the recently resurrected Lazarus, he's present. He's sitting at the dinner table with Jesus. Listen, if you have been resurrected to new life in Christ, you are a witness today. And people are going to watch. People are going to see where you sit. They're going to see where you go. They're going to see what you say. They're going to see what you do. And Lazarus is a witness of this resurrected life that he has in Christ. But not only is Lazarus there, notice we, we say this is over at Simon the leper's house, but you know who makes her way over there and is doing what she always do, well, always did? That's Martha. Oh, Martha, she's serving. The only good news in John chapter 12 is she's not complaining about it. You ever met somebody who will serve, 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 but under their breath they complain, complain, complain? 
You can read about Luke chapter 10 in verses 38 and following. Oh, Martha, the last time we see her serving, she was angry that her sister was sitting at the feet of Jesus. But anyway, that's a different story. And then we also see that Mary is present as well. And without saying a word, she speaks no word. Without saying a word, her worship of our Lord turns everything on its head. Notice in verse number three again with me. This literally is similar. This is similar to what we see in Mark 26 and 27. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 7, and Mark chapter 14, verse 3. Notice, she breaks open a very costly alabaster box of ointment. Now, we connect the alabaster box from Matthew and Mark's gospel, but it says she breaks it open. It's perfume, and it's made from pure nard. Nard. Do you know they still sell this stuff? All of you essential oil people out there, I bet you you already have little bottles of spike nard at your home. Anybody got some spike nard at home? Where are you essential oil people? That's okay. That's what I'm saying. It's out there, right? It's still available today. So, again, Scripture's confirming reality here. So she has, she has this, uh, this, this perfume, and the Bible says that she not only uh, anoints Jesus' feet, but the other Gospels actually say that she pours it on his head as well. And, and both have significance, spiritually speaking. But the scripture says that this perfume spikenard is genuine, it's pure. Therefore, it tells us that this most likely would have been imported from the Himalayan mountain regions of India, unless there were supply chain issues. (laughs) And in that case, she would have gotten it wherever she could. Or maybe maybe, uh, inflation was too high to have it imported from India. I don't know, but the reality is it's pure. And and verse number three says, look at it. It says that it is very costly. It's very costly. But notice also, verse three has a lot of stuff. Here's another big no-no. Ladies, you see what she does? She lets her hair down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 15, it talks about long hair for a woman during this time was, was a sign of her glory. And so here we see not only does she break open this ointment and she goes to anoint the feet of Jesus and and the other gospels talk about his head, but we see that she lets down her glory and she brings it low. Watch this. She lets her hair down and then she wipes the perfume all over his feet, not with a towel, but with her hair. She literally, she literally takes her hair. Now, I don't know about you, but there were no paved roads. There were no, there were no, uh, no uh, uh, tennis shoes and things like this. I can only imagine what our Lord and Savior's feet looked like from traversing the known world at that time. And this woman, this woman gets low, so low that she brings her hair down to the feet of our Lord and Savior in a sign of love and devotion and worship to him and she's doing something that would have been considered one out of the norm first of all woman what are you doing with your hair out secondly why have you taken the position of a servant and you've dropped yourself to a lowly and a disgraceful place in order to wipe this oil on Jesus oh What a wonderful picture. Mary is doing something radical and unexpected, something that would have been considered disgraceful. But I believe that she knew from her heart that what she was doing in the moment, watch it, she's giving Jesus her very best. What about us? This woman, without ever saying a word, presents an example for us even today of giving our very best. Oh, listen, without saying a word, it's like she was saying, listen, Lord, I don't care. I don't care what Martha thinks. I don't care what Lazarus thinks. I don't care what these on-looking Jewish people think. All I care about is showing you how much I love you, how devoted I am to you, how much I'm ready to worship you. And so, Lord, you are my all in all, and I want to show you that I am right there with you, and I am going to worship you in this regard and as we'll see her actions are criticized and we're going to look at that in a second but her devotion did not escape the attention of our Lord look at verse number seven because his immediate response to all the criticism is let her alone he says don't don't worry about her you let her alone 
And if we think about the progression of Mary, I referenced it a minute ago, back in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 39, Scripture tells us that Mary sat at Jesus' feet and she hears his word. And Martha got so upset that her sister wasn't helping serve in that moment. Verse 41 and 42 of Luke chapter 10, here's what Jesus says back to Martha. She's like, Jesus, don't you care that my sister's doing nothing? She's sitting there doing nothing. No, she was doing a lot. But here's what Jesus says. He says, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. What's the one thing that was needful in the moment? Mary sat there and listened to Jesus. Isn't that what Scripture says? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so she, she took a position. When Jesus came into their home, she said, Listen, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say. What about us? Every day, if we're going to follow Jesus, we got to ask, we got to, we got to ask, and we got to say, Lord, I just want to hear what you have to say. Speak to me today, Jesus. And by the way, if you want to hear what Jesus has to say, you got to open up his word. Listening to a lot of people chime in in our lives, but she wanted to hear what Jesus said, so she's interested in learning what Jesus had to say. That's number one in John chapter 11, after her brother Lazarus dies. You remember Jesus is on the road. By the way, I don't want to condemn Martha because Martha's already had her interchange with Jesus even before he gets to the town. And Jesus tells her, I'm the resurrection and the life. You know, and so Martha, she goes back and then the next thing we know, Mary comes out. But in verse number 32 of John chapter 11, notice the Bible says, Then when Mary was come to where Jesus was and she saw him, as soon as she sees Jesus, what is her response? The Bible says she fell down at his feet and she said unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. So we, first we see Mary learning from what Jesus had to say. Secondly, we see her pouring out her sorrow and her belief in Jesus. She says, listen, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. This is how much I believe in you. But here in verse number three of our text, verse number three reveals that Mary is back down in a position of humility once again. On the road, she fell down. And now she's back down again with her hair at his feet. But this time she's expressing her love and her devotion and her worship for the Lord. She wanted Jesus to know just how much she valued him. When was the last time you got alone with Jesus just to let him know how much you valued him? When was the By the way, Mary wasn't alone. This was very public. Everybody's looking. But it was as if she didn't care what they thought or what they said. That's a great lesson for us. You know, a lot of times what hinders our worship, what hinders our devotion, what hinders our service, what hinders our witness is we get in our mind and we wonder and we worry about what Tom, Dick, or Harry think instead of what Jesus thinks. Oh, to her, Jesus was worthy of this offering and more. By the way, Judas, on the other hand, he valued no one but himself. Look at verse number five. Because in verse number five, he asks, he says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? 300 pence would have been a year's worth of wages at that time. I was looking at one commentary, and they were suggesting that based on the pound of ointment that she had, this would have been the equivalent of about a $24,000 bottle of perfume, ladies. No, Krista, you cannot have that expensive perfume. We don't know. Was it a dowry? Was it a family heirloom? We don't know. But here's what I know. If the dinner, as Matthew and Mark suggest, was over at Simon the leper's and not in her and Martha and Lazarus' home, that tells me that when she knew Jesus was coming, you know what she had to do, ladies? She had to pack her pocketbook. And so she went with it purposefully ready to worship Jesus or else she said hold on one second and she ran back and got it and then came back to Simon the leper's house oh listen 
This is what we see in Scripture. But Judas, he has no value in anything but himself. In verse number 5, he says, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Over in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 26 and verse 8, he says that he asked this. He says, To what purpose is this waste? He says, It's wasteful. Like, like, what are you doing? Do you really need to pour it all out? Can't we sell some of it? Can't we get some of the money for that? I mean, we could have fed the poor with some of this money. Verse number 6 tells us a little bit more about Judas's real motives. John says, then he said this, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and bare that which was put in. Now, it, it, let me read the CSB. This will make it a little bit more clear for you. That last part, it says this. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Look at the last part. He was in charge of the money bag. I don't know, not a good choice as a, as a treasurer of the disciples. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in. The bottom line is that Judas was more concerned with about what he could have potentially stolen had that gift been gifted to them and then been able to sell it for the profit. He was more concerned about that. Therefore, he said Mary's act of love, her act of devotion, her act of worship, he said it was a waste he says, what is this waste all about? But I put in my notes, but then again, Judas never called him Lord. You see, Judas' reaction reminds me of how the world sees and reacts when you and I worship Jesus. How do we expect the world to act any different? How do we expect somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ to look at us any different? We get so mad sometimes. Really, we get infuriated sometimes with how things are waxing worse in this world. What do we expect? I mean, Judas is a guy who never called Jesus Lord. And so he's calling out Mary's action as a waste. Can I tell you that there are people ripping up and down 29 today and they're probably looking at your car and they're probably looking at my car and they're saying, what a waste! What are they doing? They're wasting their time. But you know my Bible says one day, there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So I'll let God be judge and every man a liar. Right? See, there's a world out there who thinks that our love and our devotion and our worship of the Lord is a waste. And I can tell you, you're going to get no applause, but you'll get a lot of criticism. Sometimes from the world. But listen, before we beat too much on Judas, the other disciples, as Matthew and Mark's Gospels reveal, they get involved too. See, because Mark 14, 4 says that they all had indignation within themselves and considered Mary's act to be a waste as well. In fact, in Mark chapter 14 and verse number 5, the Bible says they actually murmured. That's a, that's a horrific word, murmur. They murmured together against her. You ever been part of a murmur party? A little part of a gossip? A little part of a murmur party? Here are Jesus' closest, watch this. Remember last week I referred to them as his closest followers. One says one thing, and they all follow. Judas says something, and all of them get involved. They say, You're right. You're right. This was a waste. John's gospel says they all knew he was a thief. They all knew he was a thief. And yet they agree with him. They're like, you know, you're right. What is she thinking? How dare she, how dare, watch this, how dare she pour out something that belonged to her on him? She should have given it to us. You ever had that happen? Somebody gave somebody something and you thought, well, why, man, why'd they give it to them? They should have given it to the Corcoran Relief Fund. What are we doing? Our Lord turns graves into gardens. Right? What we just sang about. And this is what's going on. And so the anger of the disciples, their response reminds me of the response of the religious people, uh, not only then, but even now, who get so consumed with doing all sorts of spiritual stuff that they never really value Christ above all. And because we, and by the way, we can get guilty of this. 
If we don't keep our eyes on Jesus, as Ernie always says, focus, focus, focus. If we don't keep our eyes on Jesus, we can become guilty of this. In the doing, we get so mad that nobody else is doing. It's not about you doing. It's not about me doing. It's all about what Jesus has already done. And Mary gets down and she wipes his feet with her hair. I don't know if you can picture that. I have never seen a woman get down and do anything like that. And yet she loves Jesus. She's devoted to him. It's clear. And this is an act of a servant who is worshiping our Lord. By the way, interestingly enough, the word waste, if you look it up, it has a lot of definitions. But one of those definitions speaks of giving more than's necessary. So, I put in my notes, considering who Jesus was, was it a waste for Mary to pour out this extravagant gift on Jesus? Was it a waste of her reputation to let her hair down and use it as a rag to anoint his feet? Was it a waste for her to be criticized by Jesus' quote-unquote closest followers? I don't think so, and neither did Jesus. He didn't think it was a problem either because, in fact, Mary's devotion caused Jesus to say this in Mark chapter 14 and verse number 9. Here's what he says. He says, wheresoever this gospel... This gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world. This also that she has done shall be spoken of a memorial for her. In other words, any time that the gospel goes out, you need to point people to what true discipleship looks like. You need to point people to what devotion and love and worship really look like. And it's spoken and it's preached and it's echoed in the efforts of this one woman, Mary, in Bethany. If you want to follow me, you better get like Mary. Whoa. Whoa, Lord, you, whoa, whoa. Uh, you want me to get down? You want me to get down and wipe your feet? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying if you're going to follow me, you need to love me like this woman loved and adored and worshipped me. If you're going to be my disciple, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your whatever cannot have the priority. I must be uno, number one. I must be the priority of your life. Oh, listen. Picture this. Mary becomes a picture of that verse that we read earlier. She literally humbles herself. She gives all of herself. She kept back nothing in reserve. And in Matthew 26, verse number 10, Jesus said, She has wrought a good work upon me. In Mark 14, 8, he stated, She has done what she could. And folks, I'm going to wrap it up because as you and I get ready to approach Palm Sunday, we get ready to uh, approach Resurrection Sunday when we remember and we rejoice in what Christ has done for us. I think it would be important for us to consider where we are with our love our devotion, and our worship of him. We have a beautiful example here. It was condemned by those that were there that night. That restful and relaxing dinner, uh, that dinner party, it, it kind of went this way. You know, they were just hanging out, and then all of a sudden, she does what she does, and things take a different turn. Listen, I, I put in my notes, why do we do what we do? Do we do it to see the results? It's like, hey, we had upward basketball and many people made professions of faith. Praise the Lord. But that's not why we do upward basketball. If that's why we do upward basketball, we're in trouble. Hello? Well, do we do it to help others? Hopefully, others were helped spiritually and otherwise through upward basketball, through the ministry of Battlefield. Uh, it, it, do we do what we do so that we can be recognized by Jesus or someone else? You know, it's like, man, Battlefield, thank you for being such a blessing. That's great. But the reason we do whatever we do ought to be because we love him for who he is. Period. If you cast the word of God out, watch this. If you cast the word of God out throughout your whole life and you never see someone make a decision for Christ, or if you cast that word out or you come along and you're part of the watering process but you never see somebody make a decision for Christ can I tell you as lovingly as possible as long as you're doing it because you love and you're devoted and you're worshiping Christ it's okay he's the one who gives increase not you 
Let's be careful about that. I don't, I, I, I don't save souls. He saved souls. And he did all that he needed to do when he died on that cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and the Bible says he arose three days later, and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Nothing that I do saves a soul. Listen, I'm to be faithful. I'm to go out and to share the word of truth with people. But listen, if I'm not loving Jesus the way that this woman right here loved Jesus, I'm going to have a hard time following him. That's the reality of this passage. Mary, she took her eyes off of everything else. I put in my notes. Watch this. She took her eyes off of everything else that was going on around her and she declared by her actions that she treasured Jesus more than her stuff. She treasured Jesus more than her pride. She treasured Jesus more than her reputation. Pastor, you don't understand. I've got a reputation to uphold. No, you've got a Savior to serve. Oh, Pastor, you don't understand. I, 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 I've got this house and this house and this boat and this car and this, and I've got to take care of this, and I'll be back on three Sundays. from. No, you've got Jesus that you ought to be worshiping and serving. We get so busy serving our own self. Mm. This woman says, listen, I love you more than my stuff. I love you more than this $24,000 bottle of ointment. I love you more than these men and these other women condemning me because I let my hair down. I love you more than being prideful and standing back. And I want you to see that that love is real. Oh, listen, do we treasure Jesus more than our stuff, more than our pride, and more than our reputation? If so, when was the last time that we collectively said, Lord, here I am, I'm yours. Or better yet, when was the last time we dropped down and we got on our face before a holy God and said, Lord, I love you. Here I am to worship you. Here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do today? What do you need me to do, Lord? Oh, there's so much more about this passage. And, man, you could talk about Lazarus' witness and, and the fact that these Jewish guys are now wanting to kill him because they want to put Christianity to bed and, and on and on. You can talk about Martha and her servanthood. And, and so we see the witness and, and her work. And, but, but most of all, I believe we see Mary's worship. And look at verse number three with me one last time. In verse number three, notice the Bible says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment with, of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Watch this last phrase. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. The sweet aroma of Mary pouring out all that she had from her alabaster box filled the entirety of the house. And those who were present in the house no doubt walked away smelling a little bit like that ointment. Have you, you say, how, how do you know that? Have you ever been somewhere where there's a, an odor of something and you walk away smelling like that? I won't get into details. But there have been times, there have been times where I've went somewhere and I come out. Watch this. And sometimes it's not a good odor. And what is the first thing we want to do? We're like, that's going in the washer. No. Can you imagine? These people come out. And they're like, they're remembering what they thought was a disgrace, what they thought was a waste. But they're remembering still her love and her devotion and her worship of Jesus. By the way, not only did it fill the house, but the fragrance was on Jesus. I'm guessing that fragrance would have reminded him as he made his way the next day into Jerusalem what it was all about. Because guess what, he's, he's headed to Jerusalem and a few days later, oh, they might be waving the palm branches, but a few days later they're going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And I'm guessing that fragrance of her devotion and her anointing of him would have been mine. By the way, <laughs> she anointed Jesus, she gave Jesus what he was worth before it was too late. You remember there were a group of ladies that went out to the tomb after Jesus was crucified, they were going to anoint his body. Got news for you, he had already been anointed. And guess what? He had already risen. The fragrance was on Mary's hair, so everywhere Mary went, it would have continued to tell that story of her love and her devotion and her worship to Jesus. And I just put in my notes as believers, I wonder, watch this, I wonder if others can sense 
or smell the sweet scent of Christ, watch it, living inside of us, if they can sense it, if they can smell it through our love, through our devotion, through our worship to Jesus Christ. Oh, it's a great time of year. Oh, what was, was, was Mary's offering really a waste? No, it wasn't a waste. The answer is emphatically no because of her love and devotion to Christ. It still serves as a template for you and I today of how you and I must follow Jesus. This week, we're getting closer. We're inching our way closer, 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 closer. You know, people, there will be people who will come to church on Easter that will not come to church the rest of the year. This is the time to grab invites. This is the time to make sure people can sense and smell the fragrance of Jesus living inside of you so that you can invite them to come and hear about the Savior of the world. And so I encourage you to do that. Grab some of those. In fact, ushers, in fact, Carl and everybody who's out there, whatever you're doing out there, get those cards ready and be at the doors, ready to give them out to people so that you can take one or two or three, right? Don't grab the whole stack, right? Go out and invite just a couple of people to be here on Easter. You know next week's a great opportunity. A lot of you have family members who are going to be baptized, right? It's a great opportunity to say, hey, listen, Bobby Joe's going to follow the Lord and believer's baptism. Would you come and watch that? Oh, listen, as we point people to Jesus, this is a great season to invite people. And so let's just take the template that we see here in Scripture of Mary and her love and her devotion and worship, and let's do what we can do while we still have the opportunity. Amen? All right, let's pray. Let's do it. You say, is he really done? Yes, it's a miracle. We're really done today. Father, we love you. God, we, we thank you. We thank you for this extravagant example of love and devotion and worship to you, to your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of what really following Jesus looks like the idea of putting him first. The idea of Jesus being the priority of our lives. God, I pray that we will do that. That we will take up that challenge to go away from this place more eager, more enthusiastic to share our faith with other people and, and that it wouldn't even become difficult, that it would be so easy because people could sense that they could smell the fragrance of you living inside of our lives. God, help us. Help us to honor you today through this time of invitation. Listen, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ, what I want them to know, what I want you to know is if you're here and you don't know Christ, is that Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He went to an old rugged cross, right? He was born of a virgin, lived 33 plus years, never committed a sin. He went to an old rugged cross, and he died in your place, taking upon him the sin that he didn't deserve. And if you've never called out upon the name of the Lord, you know it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I recognize. I recognize that you are who you say you are. And I'm accepting that gift. I'm trusting you. I'm accepting that gift that you have offered to me for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, forgive me. Come into my life and change me. Begin to do a work in me. Lord, help me to live for you. Help me to love and to worship and to devote myself to you like this, this woman in Scripture did. And if that's your prayer today, say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you just pray for me that I would that I would be so bold to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Say, would you pray for me? I'm not asking if you've already prayed, but if you would just say, Pastor, pray for me in this regard. Would you just look at me? Get my attention. I want to pray for you. I see you. God bless you. Somebody else. Say, Pastor, pray for me that I would make this this season. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else. Somebody else. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Somebody else. I see you, bro. God bless you. Listen, it's important decision. And it can be, God bless you, it can be, it can be scary. But the reality is that God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And he proved his love by sending Christ to die on that cross and to take your sin that he didn't even deserve to die for. And yet he did it. And so listen, if the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's that simple. 
All you have to do is ask Jesus, say, Lord, I already knew I was a sinner. This pastor didn't have to tell me. I already knew that. But I'm asking you to forgive me and to come into my life. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can know that you have your prayer answered if you pray that prayer. You say, Lord, forgive me. Come into my life. So I'm going to ask you to do it right now. Just bow your head, close your eyes, and say, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to come into my life right now. I'm asking you, I'm thankful that you saved, that you did what was necessary to save my soul. I'm asking you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And this is all new. This is maybe different for me, but I recognize from Scripture your spirit is drawing me. And Lord, I'm asking you to do what only you can do in this moment, and that is to forgive me. Thank you for saving my soul. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, look back at me. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody say, I prayed that prayer. You said, God bless you. You say, God bless you. Somebody else. Bro, did you say it? I'm praying for you, man. If I can help you, somebody else. Somebody else say, I prayed that prayer. I just want to, I want to give God the glory for your decision. I see you back there, bro. God bless you. Say, I prayed that prayer and I meant it. From the bottom of my heart, I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Listen, if you're here today and you're a believer, would you be honest? Would you be honest? When was the last time you said, here I am, Lord. Here I am to worship you. I worship you like this example in Scripture. When was the last time you really worshiped? When was the last time you devoted yourself to Jesus that way? Can I ask you, if it's been a long time, would you just simply ask God to give you the strength? Would you recommit yourself to loving Him in that way? Would you ask him for the wisdom and strength that you need to do that? Would you? If, if you say, Pastor, I'm going to ask Jesus, I'm asking Jesus to give me that strength. Would you just look at me as a sign of your testimony, saying, I'm going to ask, God bless you. I want to serve Jesus. I want to love him the way that this woman did. God bless you. God bless you. Others looking at me. God bless you. God bless you. I see you, bro. God bless you. God bless you, sir, ma'am. I see you guys back there. God bless you. I want to worship Jesus the way that this woman did. And I need his strength. I need his wisdom. I need his power. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Anybody else? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I pray now that you be honored through the rest of this song of invitation. As we sing this song, I pray that people will come forward, that we will pray with one another, and that we will celebrate who you are, and we will worship you during this time. I love you and praise you, for it's in the precious and powerful name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen and amen.